Good evening. Please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I will read from verses 9 through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yes, so as through fire. What I would like to speak about this evening, by the grace of God, is this foundation and what is to be built on this foundation and how it is to be built. We know from the scriptures that the church belongs to God. It doesn't belong to any one of us. It is not somebody's private domain, somebody's private property, even though sometimes it is treated as such by men. The builder, the master architect, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he did say, I will build my church. And the building is to be done in a power, under the delegation, instruction, help of the Holy Spirit. So we see the Trinity being involved in building the church. It is the Lord's work. Apostle Paul here says, for we are God's fellow workers. But this is really a liberal translation, fellow workers or co-workers. Because really, we are more of his assistants. That's the real meaning in the original. You see, you and I are co-workers in this work. And see, God can do things by himself. He created the whole universe without our help. And he has given us this privilege to be employed by him. This is why the word of God calls us really servants or slaves or bond servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are his assistants. You know, Apostle Paul here calls himself master builder. But you know what he's saying here. He says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. In other words, he's comparing himself to a master builder who wisely lays down the foundation, carefully lays it down. Not that he himself is a master builder. The master builder, master workman, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we are his assistants. Since this is the work of God, it must be done 
according to his will. And we have been supernaturally equipped to be able to do this work. You know, each one of us who are born again have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is for a reason. Many reasons, as a matter of fact. One of them is that the Spirit of God seals us. That means that we are his property. We belong to him. What if God says we are sealed unto the day of redemption? In other words, his sealing is proof in us that he will live up to what he said, his promises. That we will be raised from the dead. That we will be changed. That we are his. And everything he said in his word, anything and everything he promised in his word will be fulfilled. And this is why the seal. We have likewise been given the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to teach us individually. But likewise, to be part of this work. When we look at gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12, we can see that these really are manifestations of the Holy Spirit through the believer. This is not something that I was born with. This is not something I can gain by knowledge, by going to school, or by continuous exercise. No, this is something supernatural that the Spirit of God gives to a believer. It is he who manifests himself through a believer in a particular way. Even though you and I can have the same gift, but it could be different amount of grace, different amount of power at different places, and so on and so forth. So we have been equipped by him to be his instruments. And you notice that we are called his vessels or his instruments. A picture hammer, a saw, a drill. These are instruments of the master workman. And that's what you and I are. And therefore, since this is spiritual work, this is God's work, uh, it cannot be done in human power, human wisdom, human efforts, and we need to understand this. And we need to take this to heart because this is what this chapter is all about. Because at the end, there will be a test. And a work will be tested by fire to see if actually it was from the Holy Spirit or not. If it was from God or not. Since it's a spiritual work, it must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead? And then before his ascension, he gave his instructions to the disciples, to, his, to the apostles. And he told them to go into all the world and to make disciples and to teach them and to baptize them and so on and so forth. But then he said, but you wait. You wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. You notice that they waited. Now, they had experience already, didn't they? They were sent two by two, and they preached the gospel, and they healed, did all kinds of miracles, and they were baptizing. Yet the Lord Jesus Christ specifically said, you wait until you are empowered. And they did. How did they wait? They waited by praying for the promise of the Father. We can see this in Acts chapter 1. The whole assembly didn't sit down to make plans of how to start the church. You notice that? Where to go, and so on and so forth. They waited according to the word of the Lord. They were obedient. And on the day of Pentecost, 
we see that the Spirit of God came and empowered them and united them together. And then we see how they started working, not in their own power, but the Spirit of God filled them. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, filling of the Holy Spirit. And we see that they were filled over and over again, not just one time. We see them in chapter 4 being filled again. They waited, and they were empowered. And then they worked. And then they preached the gospel. And then they established the assembly, the church. And this is exactly how we ought to operate. These are examples left for us in the scriptures. So it's a spiritual power working through the believer. And these so-called gifts, as I mentioned, are really manifestations of the Spirit at Spirit's discretion, at His direction. He decides when, where, and how. It is not us. And our responsibility, dear saints, it is to make ourselves available to present ourselves. This is what we see in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves in your body as a living and holy sacrifice. You notice it says holy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, Apostle Paul tells Timothy that in a great house, in a big house, there are many vessels, some to honor and some to dishonor, some made of gold and silver and the other ones of wood and clay. And therefore, if anyone wishes to be vessel of honor, useful to the master, he must cleanse himself from all defilement in order that he may be used by the master. And this is very important. You know, sometimes we wonder, why isn't there blessing? We're doing the work. We're trying. We're striving. We're preaching. We're teaching. We're inviting we're encouraging, but there's no blessing. But have you ever thought that maybe there was something in our lives that's preventing the Lord to really use us, to display his power through us? Because even a preacher, even a teacher, anybody, anybody that's doing any kind of work, whether it's invitation, whether it's instruction, whether it's encouragement, the power has to come from the Holy Spirit through him. Otherwise, the work is not blessed. And oftentimes... That may be the case, that we are trying and we're doing all kinds of things and we don't know what's wrong, why. And sometimes it is because it is us. Sometimes we don't present ourselves. We just want to do somebody a favor. We want somebody off our back, so we do it grudgingly. We're there, but we do it not because we want to present ourselves. Sometimes we're doing it, but our lives, there's something wrong in our life. We have not offered ourselves to the Lord. We are not cleansed from defilement that's in the world. So we are to present ourselves and make ourselves available. The Lord Jesus Christ is often called the foundation, the stone, or the cornerstone. The church is built on this solid foundation, as Apostle says, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. No true church can be built which does not hold, which does not embrace this true doctrine, which is respecting his person, number one, that he is God, his deity, that he is God, he has no beginning, no end, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, he is equal with the Father, equal with the Holy Spirit. 
He's not lesser God. He is God. Another thing about his person, another doctrine found in the scriptures, that he is human. He has come from heaven and taken on upon himself human form. He received human nature through Mary. So he is God, full God. He's not 50-50, not half God, half man. 100% God. Always was, always will be. When the Word of God says he emptied himself, he didn't empty himself of deity. Can't do that. He's always God. But he took on a human form, human body, human nature. And then the Word of God also speaks about his work. He came and he did things which was written of him. He went as the Scriptures wrote of him, as the prophets prophesied of him. Number one, he lived a spotless, perfect life. There was no sin in him. He was the Lamb of God who was to take away the sin of the world. Well, we know that the lambs in the Old Testament had to be without blemish. They had to be perfect as far as the eye could tell. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ was before God perfect. There was no blemish in him. He lived a perfect and holy life. And then it was atonement. He came for a reason. And the reason was to die for our sins. He himself became a curse in order to redeem us from the curse of the law. When he paid the penalty on the cross, he said it is finished. That means that there is nothing to be added to the work of salvation. He provided the way of salvation for all mankind. And now anybody and everybody, whosoever will may come and can accept him as their Savior, his sins are forgiven, and he receives a new birth. But when he died, he did not stay in the grave. For the Word of God says that he rose from the dead according to the Scriptures on the third day. This he did. So this is the foundation, this is the basis on which we are built. This is the basis on which everything else in the Scriptures stand. And no church can be built apart from embracing this solid foundation. There are all kinds of people believing all sorts of things and adding to the foundation, taken away from this foundation. But it is not the same thing. Anybody takes away from his person, from his work, from his accomplished work, from his life, from his resurrection, he's taken away from this foundation. It is no longer the same foundation. Men can only be saved and added to the church by believing this particular truth, which we found in the Scriptures. There is no other testament of Jesus Christ. We don't find that in the Scriptures. There's only one. This is it. This is complete Word of God that we have. There is not something that somebody else has, another revelation apart from the Word of God. As a matter of fact, Apostle Paul speaks about this very strongly in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, If any man was to come to you and preach unto you different gospel than you received, gospel that I preached unto you that you accepted, let him be accursed. And then he repeats it. He says, Any man or even an angel from heaven was to come to you and preach unto you something different than I preached unto you that you received. Let him be accursed. This foundation cannot be modified to suit men. 
And this is exactly what many people try to do. They want to please men. They want to suit their own needs. So what are they doing? They will take away from Christ whatever suits their needs. Anybody that does this, Word of God says, is accursed. You can't do this. And anybody that accepts different gospel, it is not the same foundation, and it is not in the same church. Two things he prohibits from doing here. They must not lay another foundation. When we look at Mormonism, NJWs, and various cults, you notice that they are laying another foundation. Their Christ is not the same as our Christ. Their God is not the same as our God. They have changed certain things about him, about his person, about his work, or about needs that need to be done unto salvation. So this is a different gospel. This is a different foundation. And we are warned here not to lay another foundation because it is not the same thing. And secondly, he says we must not erect a building that will not correspond to that same foundation. So the building and the foundation must be built of the same material, not something different, not something strange. These two should look alike. Instructions, examples, patterns are before us in the Scriptures. They must be followed. We are not to deviate in, uh, in conformity to the rule of this foundation. The church is God, God's house. The church is God's temple. Here, Apostle says that it is his field. It is his vineyard. It is the body of Christ. And therefore, she should portray holiness, sanctification. The temple is to be holy. House of God is to be set apart from all defilement, all uncleanness. There is to be likewise fruit. That's what the field is mentioned for in the vineyard. God expects fruit. He always expected fruit. From the house of Israel, he expected fruit. There was none. He expects fruit from us individually and as an assembly. So we are to work together for the benefit of the assembly to bring others to Christ as well, to build this assembly, to build the church of God. And likewise, there ought to be beauty in the church as the body of Christ. What is the beauty? Well, what, is the, what was the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ? Isaiah says there was no beauty in him that we should desire it. Something that man does not appreciate. Well, the beauty was his obedience and submission to his Father. And therefore, we ourselves, the church, individually and corporately, we are to show forth this beauty, obedience to his word, obedience and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sadly, many builders, many teachers, many pastors bury Christ with strange doctrines. And what they do is they pile on all sorts of debris on this beautiful foundation. It is almost like going behind a supermarket and gathering all sorts of wooden pallets that are all broken down and then taking it to a beautiful granite foundation and building a shack. You know, it doesn't correspond. It won't look good. It's not the same thing. And therefore, we ourselves are warned that we are to build with allowable materials. So he gives us example of these allowable materials and non-allowable materials as well. He calls them gold, silver, precious stones, and wood, hay, and stubble. Scriptural teachings, proper use of gifts, love, care, humility, prayer, organization, empowerment, 
leading, guidance by the Holy Spirit are all gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, how about the other materials? Wood, hay, and stubble. Well, these are different degrees of unapproved uses. For instance, borrowing from the world. We are not to borrow things from the world. Even the world has all kinds of things to offer. Yet how often is it tempting to borrow from the corporate world to structure the assembly, to borrow from political world to try to invite people or try to run things in a certain way? No, we are not to borrow from anybody. This is different work altogether. As I mentioned, we do have complete scriptures. We don't need to borrow from anywhere else. And very often, this is the temptation because of our secular positions, the secular work. And we know how to do things in a secular world, and we try to bring those things in, not realizing that this is not acceptable, unacceptable by the Lord. Likewise, uh, when it comes to errors and heresies, self-will, it's not what I want to see in this assembly. How often is it, is it again, tempting? This is what I want to see. This is where I think we ought to go. Sometimes I hear somebody say, well, we're going to go build a church. You're going to go build a church. Oftentimes, it's my church. I'm going to build a church. You hear this from some pastors in the past. And I'm thinking, how can you even say that being a pastor? You should know the scriptures. It is not your church. You don't build it the way you want to build it. Where's the Holy Spirit in this? It is not self-will. Likewise, any deviation from the Scripture. Again, we have the Scriptures, dear saints. We don't need to deviate from it whatsoever. There's everything that we have, what do we need in the Holy Scriptures. Anything done in the flesh, apart from the guidance, direction of the Holy Spirit is unapproved material. Now, some of these things are not evil themselves. Some of these things, as a matter of fact, are not heretical, yet unprofitable for the growth of the assembly. Only that which is of Christ, dear saints, is permitted to be used. You know, in uh, chapter 16 of Gospel of John, our Lord Jesus Christ, as he's speaking to his disciples, he says that they will, he will send them a helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who will guide them and who will lead them, who will teach them. And then he says that he will take from mine and give it to you. Well, this is for the building. He will take from me, from mine, what's mine, my character, and he will build you with it. He will give it to you. And this is how we are to build others as well, in a mixture of the world or self or other religions. They're saints. it will corrupt her purity. In Matthew chapter 13, our Lord Jesus Christ speaks of seven parables on the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 33, he mentions one particular parable of a woman that takes three measures of fine flour and she mixes a little bit of leaven in it and the whole lump becomes permeated. You notice this three measures of fine flour. That speaks of the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, their work, their person, and everything about them. Yet how often is it? All it takes is one little pinch. A little pinch of Leaven to put in a dough, to put in that fine flour, and the whole thing becomes permeated. And this is exactly what we see in Christendom today. 
they take a little bit of lemon, a little bit of the world, a little bit of self, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, just a little thing, and they mix it in with the truth. And then they feed this to the people. And what happens? People are fed on these things. And it's not the pure word of God anymore. It's not purity. It's not holiness anymore. And this is why we see all sorts of things in the Christendom today, which is unwarranted. It is just totally against the Scriptures. Why is it? Simply because people do not feed others with the pure word of God, but they have to bring something from outside. So anything that deviates from Christ and his teachings is considered errors and heresies. Another thing you noticed, Apostle Paul is very careful not to take any credit for himself. You notice what he says. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth or he caused the increase. In verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me. You notice how careful he is not to take any glory from God? Because God is very jealous of his glory. How easy it is to think of oneself. You know what? It's my knowledge in the scriptures, or it's my prayer, or it's my example, or it's because I'm here all the time. The thing couldn't run apart from me. And this is so easily brought in our own minds. But every time we think like that, you don't even have to say it. Because later on we see that everything will be exposed at the end. Things, hidden things of the heart will be exposed. But Apostle Paul makes it very clear. And if anybody had anything to boast of, like he says, it was him. But what does he say in Philippians chapter 3? That he puts everything that he was that he knew everything, he puts it as dung behind him. For the excellence in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. In another place he says, I labor more abundantly than all of them. Nevertheless, not I, but the grace of God through me. And again he says, we are what we are simply by the grace of God. So it is not me. It is not you. We are merely vessels. If it's me, if it's my power, if it's my understanding, if it's my wisdom, if it's my own effort, they're saying it's going to burn at the end. And that's what Apostle is trying to tell us here. There's another uh, prohibition when it comes to foundation. We can find this in uh, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings, which is baptism, and laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. He says, do not lay on another foundation, even though it's a good foundation, it's a solid foundation but rather press on to maturity. He's not saying that we are to start another work in Rancho Cucamonga. Don't lay another foundation. No, no, that's when we do lay that solid foundation. But he says, if the foundation has been laid already, it's time to build. It is not to speak and to preach and to teach same old things again. Those are important things. This is solid foundation. This is Jesus Christ. But he says, now let us go on to maturity. You know, to learn ABCs, 
and basic math is what we learn in school in our first grade. Multiplication tables, divisions, uh, uh, adding and subtraction. But what happens in the second grade? We go on to higher things, right? We use those ABCs and those base, that basic math, and we build on it. What would happen if we went all the way through 12th grade, and in the 12th grade, we're still learning ABCs? How far did we get? Nowhere. How about when we go to four-year degree, uh, four-year college, and then to go our master's and our, and our doctorate, and we're still going through ABCs? It's unprofitable. It is kind of silly, isn't it? Well, Apostle to the Hebrews is saying the same thing. It's time to move on. It's time for progression. It is time for maturity. You have the solid foundation, and each one needs to know the solid foundation. But now, now let's go on to maturity. Let's grow. Spiritually speaking, that's what we see here. You know, when we look at a, a human being, child is born, and he is given milk, and then he's given solid food as he grows, and he grows, or she grows. And they grow through knowledge, intelligence, and physically. And pretty soon they become mature adults. And then they strive for a particular profession. They want to be proficient in their work. They're striving for that perfection. That's exactly what should be done in our spiritual lives. Look, Apostle's telling these people in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, I couldn't speak to you as unto adults. I couldn't give you solid food. I still have to treat you like children. Why? Because says, look, there are divisions among you. There are fightings uh, among you. And as long as there are these things, these are carnal things. In other words, you do have a solid foundation, but you know what? You haven't been built. There's no building. There's no maturity in you. So it's time to go on and start building. Children are to grow up into sons. You know, as a, as a father or as, as a mother, when your child was an infant, when he was a child, immature child, you enjoyed him. But you couldn't really do things with him as you can do with an adult. You can't cooperate in, on particular chores or particular projects that you want to do. Why? You can't trust the a little infant, a little child, to do things, to help you with things. Well, it is the same way with us and our God and our Father. He enjoys us. We are His children. But He longs for us to be mature. We can see this throughout the, the New Testament, striving for maturity. Our brother Dave mentioned this this morning, the same thing, striving for this maturity, for this perfection. Apostle Paul says the same thing in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I leave things behind, and I'm striving, I'm pressing on to what? To perfection, to this completion, to be Christ-like. First is maturity, and then is really that perfection. Just like in a secular world, you know, there are many mature people, but how many of them are professionals? And this is what the Word of God is talking to us about. This perfection, to be Christ-like, to strive for this, for this mark. Because this is exactly what the Lord wants from each and every one of us. So these, these elementary things are the foundational principles which should be, should be pressed on every new convert, and they should all know it. 
But this is only the foundation of Christianity. This is not the Christianity, dear saints. What is true Christianity? It is to be Christ-like, so it is maturity. And uh, really, when you think about it, Satan's first attempt is to hinder the sinner to come to this foundation. He doesn't want him to come to this true foundation because what happens then? He lost him. And a person accepts Christ as their Savior, and they stand on the foundation, and they belong to Christ. But you know, after the sinner comes to this foundation and becomes a believer, he has a next uh, a very important task, Satan that is, that he wants to do. And it's a great effort. He wants to keep him satisfied with the foundation and for him not to go any further. Because if he can keep him as a babe, he has achieved his goal, his secondary goal. Because then he knows that he cannot be used and will not be used by God. Because children mind things of children. Apostle Paul says, look at you. I can't speak to you as unto adults, as unto mature, because there are divisions among you. That's exactly what Satan wants. He wants to make sure that that person becomes or remains a dwarf. And when a person becomes or remains a dwarf, spiritual dwarf, there's no joy in his spiritual life. There's no joy in enjoying the Father. He enjoys his salvation. But he minds childish things. He minds things of this world. He minds things of the flesh. But there's really no true enjoyment of fellowship with the Lord. Working together with the Lord. Being used by Him. Bringing others to Christ. Seeing others grow. Children don't care about those things. Spiritual children don't care about those things. All they care about is, I have my ticket to heaven. I have my fire insurance. That's good enough for me. And this is exactly what Satan is striving for with every new believer. And oftentimes, and we can see this, he's very successful at it. In verse 13, he says, Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Here he forewarns us that every man's work will one day be manifest. It will be evident. It will be shown. You know, our work for a time may be concealed from the views of men. Oh, we can be busy. We can do all kinds of things but many can't really tell what we're doing. We are busy, though. Likewise, when it comes to uh, unprincipled men, ungodly men, those who are truly wolves in sheep's clothing, ravenous wolves, uh, for a time they can deceive others with their pretensions, with their goals, and with their agendas. They have their agenda, whatever it, whatever it is. But they can hide those things, and sometimes we can tell Sometimes we can perceive whether or not somebody's laboring for the Lord and laboring according to the will of God, uh, faithfully or fraudulently. Sometimes we can't. But what is now buried in darkness, what of God says here that one day will be revealed in the light? What is now glorified and honored by men will one day fall flat on its face before Christ. Many things considered excellent and good and faithful will one day show to be worthless. Apostle Paul says, on that day. What is that day? Well, it's the bima. It's the judgment seat of Christ. 
And on that day, he says, all will be exposed, all will be revealed. You know, you and I can pretend and we can hide things from men, but not from the search of hearts. It will be revealed through fire. What is that fire? Well, the fire is none other than the Spirit of God himself. He will test every man's work. Why is he the fire? Why is he the tester? Well, because as I mentioned earlier, everything is to be done in his power. He's to be the one leading, guiding, teaching, directing, organizing, empowering. And he surely will know whether or not this is of him or not. So every man's work will be done or will be tested through the fire. And the nearer, and, uh, the, the, nearer the approved work, approved labor, the brighter it will glow. And on the other hand, what has its origin in man's head, in man's power, man's wisdom in the world? Word of God says that will burn and vanish very quickly. Those who work, Word of God says here, Apostle Paul says, if any man's work which he has built upon remains, he shall receive a reward. So those whose work will stand the test of fire will have a reward. And the reward will be given by the Lord himself, the righteous judge. Apostle Paul says, I fought a good fight, I finished the course, and I kept the faith. And now there is laid aside for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who will reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. Dear saints, it simply means approved labor. The crowns. The crowns simply mean approval of the Lord, that he is satisfied with our work. As Apostle Paul says, well done. I finished the course. I kept the faith. I fought a good fight. And now the crown is mine. The Lord Jesus Christ likewise told the second church in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, you will have tribulation for 10 days, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Again, the Lord's approval because they were faithful even unto death. Now, disapproved labor and efforts will be burned up. Their owners will suffer loss. What is the loss here? Well, loss of a reward, of course. The loss of approval from the Lord. A shame, really, John tells us, that we would not have to be shrinking back in shame at his coming. Therefore, he instructs us, encourages us to lead a godly life, submitted life, obedient life. And also, it will be regret. But you know, the word in the original uh, means punished by a fine, suffer injury or damage and detriment. What does this mean? I really don't know. And to be honest with you, I don't want to find out. I don't. And therefore, I strive myself. And I pray. And I ask the Lord to guide me and to direct me, to make sure it is not of myself, that I'm not building wood, hay, and stubble. They will not stand the test of fire. But it says that they will be saved, the person will be saved as through fire. Their salvation is secure, but their work, dear saints, their effort and their hopes will be burnt up. It's like a man who escapes from a burning house, but he loses everything that he worked for, everything that was in that house. All his life, lifelong work, will be burnt up, and there will be nothing left. You know, dear saints, 
Each one of us who are born again have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And each one of us has the same opportunity to be assistants, as apostles, co-workers with the living God. I don't have a greater opportunity than you, and you don't have a greater opportunity than me. But each one of us has their place in the church, each one of us. It was pre-assigned by God already. And each one of us are to yield, present ourselves, make ourselves available, and be holy and blameless in order for the Lord to use us. If the Lord is not using us, then there's a problem. And the problem is us. It's not him. And each one of us, dear saints, should strive and should make ourselves available. You know, there's a, uh, there's a hymn, 566. It was written by Charles Luther. It is, Must I Go in Empty-Handed? Charles Luther was at a deathbed of a young man who was newly born again. And this young man was weeping. He was dying. And he was weeping because he hasn't done anything for the Lord. And Charles Luther took these words, these dying words from this, from this young man, and he penned down this beautiful hymn. It's, it's one of my favorite hymns. And you know, often I think about this hymn, and this is the hymn that's on my heart many, many times, simply because it's a warning to us. You know, we can understand somebody like that young man who was newly born again, even though he says he, he blames himself for wasting his years in sin that he could have used for the Lord. But he was then, he did come to Christ. He accepted Christ as his Savior. But then he says, there's, there's no time for me to do anything for him now. How many of us have been born again for many, many years? And how many of us have not done anything for the Lord? And then how many of us will think that we have done something for the Lord because we have been busy, but when we come through the fire, we'll be empty-handed? How sad it will be. How disappointing it will be. Dave, could you lead us in that hymn, please? 566. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, these words really do ring in our ears. Must I go and empty-handed? Father, there are so many people in this world that have plans for the future, but they have no future for their plans because their plans are not based on your word. Father, as we've looked into your scripture tonight, we've all been convicted of the fact that when we build, it must be built your way and not our way. Oh, Father, may all our plans be put into your hands first because, Father, we want to uh, glorify your name. And, Father, we do pray for those that we come in contact with this week, those that are one heartbeat and one breath away from an eternity separated from a loving and a gracious and a forgiving God. Father, please let us not be silent in our witness. And so, Father, as we commend ourselves to you this evening, <clears throat> may we realize that we ourselves are only one heartbeat away from being with you. And then our work on this earth 
is done. But Father, may we not, as this, these words say, come before you completely empty-handed. And so, Father, commend, we commend ourselves to you now and to the word of your grace that will build us up in your worthy and precious name. Amen.